We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Lakers go out on their shields, but get swept nonetheless, and the Denver Nuggets advance to the NBA Finals in four games with a little hint of potential LeBron James retirement at the end. No uh, no good novella ends the season without a, a bombshell you didn't see coming. You're listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, I'm not going to try to digest this crazy season all in one night, um, but here we are at the, at the end of the ride. Mike, I'd love to start with you and just kind of hear what the mood was around the team, where you're at, and just the the key players on the last night of the season. Wow. You don't usually see a series go the way that this one did, uh, where where the teams kind of came together for a matchup that, that I thought was going to be exciting for a couple of different reasons. And then the Lakers are just not able to leave Denver with a win, uh, despite being pretty close in both games. And then game three really being really being where the series flipped, you know, I think for good. Um, mm-hmm. And once it becomes three zero, whether the Lakers were able to win tonight, you know, I think that especially considering LeBron playing 48 minutes, you know, minus a couple of seconds and and to have, let's say they do win and they have to go to game five in Denver, you know, that's a very difficult game um, nonetheless. So, uh, but with all of that said, the Lakers did some things tonight that it's hard not to think about, Oh, well, what if they did that early in the series and all of these different sure. things, what if player X does this or what if that Jokic fadeaway um, contested three to beat the shot clock buzzer over Anthony Davis doesn't go in. And what if, you know, one of the, what if the Lakers get a, a kick out pass from LeBron and that last, th- there's so many, I mean, we could probably think of 60 in the next two minutes sure. plays that, that seem to mostly to go Denver's way. But I, I guess what I've learned in covering the league for a while is that when that happens four times, you just have to give the other team a pat yep. on the butt and say, congrats. And you deserve to win. Uh, And there are a lot of there are a lot of reasons why that happened, Darius. I think it always goes back to how the season goes, how the season ends, the how the players um, get time on the court together, what the relative level of fatigue is between teams. But bottom line, when we're reflecting back on the season, um, it was a sweep. 
And however they did it, uh, Denver got it done. And so credit to Jokic. I I was one of those that kind of needed to see a team that had a center that that didn't on paper, certainly, and by stats, defend um, at a certain level, protecting the rim um, to, to potentially win an NBA title. We'll see if they can. But the way that those pieces fit around them uh, were you know, really maximized in, in this series. And so, yeah, let me just kick it to you before we kind of dig in a little deeper and think about bigger picture stuff. Um, I think ultimately you have to just kind of give Denver credit. Just credit to the Nuggets. They were the better team. They were the fresher team in a lot of ways. I think mentally and physically you saw – a team that over the course of the season has been very good in the clutch and they won basically four close games. Like the margin of game three and game four don't reflect a close game necessarily, but these games were close and the Nuggets were the team that down the stretch made more plays. They made the plays. They made the shots, um, got the critical loose balls, just all of the things that you expect. Like what's that old... um, Like luck favors the prepared, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm not saying any of the plays that happened were necessarily lucky. I just think the Lakers didn't always put themselves in the best position to succeed. Mm -hmm. And the Nuggets consistently did. And when the opportunity was there for them to strike, they mostly did that. And like Mike said, when that happens, when that happens once, it's just like, oh, you sort of lamented. And when it happens twice, you start to get frustrated. And then after the third game, there's probably a little bit of anger about like why you didn't do the other thing. But after the fourth time, you're basically resolved to the fact that you just got beat by the better team. And, and 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 so congrats to Denver, congrats to to the Nuggets. Um, this is where I think that to Mike's point about um, being able to defend the paint and a big guy who can or cannot protect the rim, it just helps when you're that big and that sort of like strong and have that good hand-eye coordination. Um, AD was really trying to attack the paint in this game, Pete, but like he got the ball slapped away from him yeah. several times. And, and I know that there's like um, individual decision making that 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 we'll get into more around AD and his offensive game and then things we would have liked to have seen more. I, I thought the fourth quarter was a great example of what um to Mike's point again, like what would it look like if you played like this the entire time? Like AD's fourth quarter was a great example of that, where it's less like, oh, just shoot a shoot a few more 15 foot jumpers and try to loosen thing, th- things up a little bit. But that's not how it went. That's not how the series went. That's not how these these games went. And um, we will talk more big picture stuff about the Lakers, but. Like I'm disappointed and at the same time, like proud of the effort mm-hmm. that the team showed, proud of the season that they had, um, proud of the resiliency. Um, they really did battle this game and they left it all on the floor. Yep. That's all you can ask for as a fan. Absolutely. And overall, this was a productive year. I think Denver illustrates that. A championship team is often built over a number of years, not just one. And the Lakers took steps toward the next era of Lakers basketball. Now, the LeBron bombshell, right? We will talk about that more. And just 
big picture Lakers stuff in terms of team building. We've got a lot of exciting discussions ahead of us. We got the 17th and 47th picks in the draft, a lot of free agency decisions, a couple of restricted free free agents in Austin and Rui really showed out over the course of the playoff run, right? A lot of these type of topics that we've got coming up, but I think that this Denver series in particular, it's important that everybody watches this series and how it went and you know, debates it and checks out why certain possessions went certain ways. There's a lot of answers to where I think our next steps are that are found in this series because this Denver team, they're they're young, they're in their prime. They're gonna be back at this point next year too, right? And so I think that if we want to get to the next steps, they're gonna be a team that we're gonna have to focus on, right? They're gonna be right in the mix. And they have they had a similar injury type of uh, arc as uh, as us in that they went on a run in 2020. We beat them in the Western Conference Finals. And then they have two years in a row where they have really bad injury luck. And then they finally get their guys back for this year. And you can see the run that they're on and just the level of not just cohesion, but the the hunger that they have and that they're really, you know, they're really um, seizing the moment. And that's a team that, again, is a lot of guys in their late 20s that are likely to be back next year. And so I think that having a great understanding of what worked and what didn't and why from this series is going to be super helpful in terms of building the team going forward. Yeah. And it's also part of the, for me, the hard part, I think sometimes we'll watch inside the NBA or something, or I'll watch it and I'll think, yeah, you know, Shaq and Charles and, and to a lesser extent, Kenny basically formulated the way that they think about the NBA at a certain point, yep. And that's how they are now they're putting that viewpoint right on everything that they're seeing at the current moment. And in trying to analyze like the way that I've been looking at this series, right. That's, I think that's part of part of why for me, it was harder to see, you know, Denver making a push, especially like this, like four Oh, uh, where essentially Jokic and Murray, the two, the two stars don't give you a ton defensively. Now Jokic does take up a ton of space, on defense, and he, and he is an amazing rebounder. You know, maybe the but the best defensive rebounder going, but nonetheless, you know, not not two way players in the same in the way that we think about the two way types of players that win titles. Oh, sorry. Oh, just and great hands too. That's something that I thought really shown in this series is that he can win a lot of battles in a similar way that Marcus Saul would defensively. A lot of strips, a lot of deflections. Yeah, and even and honestly, so in addition to Marcus Saul, tonight made me think a little bit of Draymond Green. With oh, what yeah. he was doing with his low hand to disrupt AD, uh, and in AD not liking that and not adjusting well to that, just like when Draymond was doing it, although he did get going a little bit in the fourth. But so essentially, like that's been a big part of what I've I've felt like I've watched NBA basketball, especially as I've been you know actually working in the NBA, being paid to go to games, is that these in the playoffs, these two way players that can really give you a lot on both ends, those that especially a duo usually ends up on the on the right end of a series and. To me, that was why going into the series, like LeBron and AD as a duo, as a tandem with decent or actually not decent with really good supporting players, um, didn't lose playoff series. And now, okay, so what happens with Denver? Well, the four players, and it was really just four, four players that played around them, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Bruce Brown, you know, with a sprinkling for Jeff Green, Christian Brown didn't even get in the game tonight. They really filled in all those kind of the whatever lacking, whatever there was lacking for Jokic and Murray Mm -hmm. um, in kind of a special way. And the fact that they all stayed healthy, they were all able to play 40 plus minutes. They didn't wear down at all. 
um, speaks to what they were able to do in the regular season to get a big enough lead to be able to rest them as a team um, and and to, to really know exactly how to play together and to know how to play off of one another. And that, I think, was where the belief came from. And that's where, like, the Lakers threw some big punches at them in this series. Now, starting in game one, some real blows, like some LeBron spinning to the hoop, finishing, like AD blocks, um, the, the Austin Reeves back-to-back threes, like these, these real haymakers to get big leads. And they were just undeterred. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how they keep that specific level up, uh, you know, moving forward with with kind of the resources that they'll have. Bruce Brown, to me, is a player that, you know, I don't know that they can afford to to keep with what it was going to be like 120 percent of the of the mini mid or something. Um, to me, he seems like a more of a full mid level guy. But who knows? Like if they win the title, maybe he takes a discount. Who knows? But that that mix of what they have, um, I guess I needed to see. And just saw it. I <laughs> just saw it against LeBron and AD, albeit at a LeBron who was not able in year 20 to call upon the type of game that we saw tonight um, in every game. But, I mean, he did tonight up until the last couple of possessions. 40 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. Uh, and in that being not good enough, that's the unexpected part on top of what we've seen to this point in the series. The current NBA is such an offense-driven league We saw so many record-breaking offensive performances this year that we may be moving in to a period where we have to start to adjust what our understanding of the game is and and the different formulas and different pathways that you can use in order to win. Let me add a little note from the arena on that, uh, to your point. Like there, the feeling, I think, being watching Denver on offense was different from watching Memphis or Golden State or yeah. the teams up to that where there there is not as as like watching it from a Lakers perspective it was always dangerous like the Jokic screen roll with Murray and there the deep, the Lakers defense which flexed on everybody was not able to do that um on Denver even even though they hit some ridiculous shots like they it always felt you know like they were going to be able to create something i think the foundational piece of that is a singular player that you can just give the ball to and you're pretty yeah. assured to get a great shot out of that possession or the vast majority of possessions that that player has the ball and that to me is is like lebron being kind of touch and go on that and we saw that tonight just a vintage performance this evening but that was Jokic all four games, right? Even in games where he wasn't scoring right away, he's getting several assists in the first first uh, half. And so in in some ways, the game moves in a certain direction, but in others, like having the baddest dude on the floor that you can just give the ball to, it's as eternal as it gets. Watching this Denver team, it reminds me of like those, um, those old Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk. Oh yeah, the greatest show uh, on turf teams. Yeah, like... Those those teams were known for their offense, right? But they had just enough defense in order. This is to the like, 1999 uh, St. Louis Rams yeah. in NFL football, by the way. Yes. So when you have this amazing driver offensively, like this engine that that you can back, then it just allows you so much flexibility that. You don't, we think of flexibility and versatility and like this malleability within this idea of like, oh, well, you can shape shift and you can do all of these, these different things, right? And that's been the beauty of LeBron and AD teams. But Denver 
I think what their biggest strength is, is they don't need to shapeshift because their one guy yeah. is too difficult to defend one-on-one. And if there's a lesson from this series, it's that from the center position, Jokic played as though he were like one of one of those great like wing players right where where he was racking up a ton of assists he was scoring in isolation pretty much and getting good shots almost whenever he wanted regardless of the quality of individual defender that that was on him just because he does have such great touch he is such a big body he is able to back guys down and guys who had a low enough center of gravity to sort of keep him away from spots he had enough range on his hooks and was able to shoot over the top of you because he's taller and the higher center of gravity guys, he was just knocking those guys backwards. Like AD didn't have enough in his back pocket to defend yep. Jokic. And like he's maybe the one guy in the league that you can say that about. Like I've seen AD go toe to toe with Joel Embiid yep. and not get knocked backwards the way that he was getting sort of just on his heels against Jokic. And, and, and so just kudos to an amazing player, I think is is the framework for me within the context of this series and to a team that was really built over several years in order to be this version that is ready to win at the highest level. The team they remind me of the most are those old uh, Olajuwon Rockets team with Jokic playing that Olajuwon role, right? And that it's it's funny, Mike, you brought up that comment about how like Barkley and Shaq kind of calcified their basketball mentalities in a certain era. And that that's always something that I rem- remember hearing Wilt Chamberlain interviews who Jokic has passed, you know, or tied certain records with. And I think that that's an appropriate name. But I, I remember Wilt talking about, ah, these guys are soft, that average 65, right? And talking about that era, the Shaq and Barkley era. And one of the beautiful things about basketball is it's always – having counter arguments with itself and and pushing the game forward. And to me, Jokic kind of represents a way of the big man becoming the fulcrum again. Now you got to be an amazing ball handler, really understand the point guard type of role, right? Like that, that Jokic can, um, can run and be a good shooter, right? Be able to space the floor and add a degree of skill, but that, that's always changing, right? Like that whole idea of, I remember when Jordan was trying to win his first championship, the narrative was, ah, can't win without a great big man. Look, all that, all this wing stuff is great during the regular season, but if you don't have a real, a real big, you can't do it until Jordan does it, right? And, and Jordan and Pippen do it. And then it's, ah, can't win with the three point shooting. How's it going? Right. And, and, and they win and, and establish a dynasty. And so just basketball is always evolving in a way where these great players are the guys that kind of set the next generation and the where we're going in the future. Yeah. And Jokic is just on, on a monster run this postseason. Yeah, th- that had me just thinking back to the Lakers for a second. And, you know, I don't I don't want to get into the whole LeBron element uh, of it right now. I'm in terms of the whole. Yeah, know, we'll talk about it later. Let's, let's digest. Not, yeah, to, yeah but I had to mention it in the context of next season, right. And of, well, what, so if the Lakers are lacking X, Y, and Z, right. And we saw that in this series, like what is it that they do need to get and what is the hardest piece to get and what do they have and what can they Mm -hmm. get? And I mean, a couple of things, I think, so let's set LeBron, LeBron on the side for a second, you know, Anthony Davis disappointing offensively, 
specifically for me on Jokic, like not just in the series, but like in this game, in this game, like and just kind of, you know, getting discouraged with whether it was some of the pushes that didn't get called early or the not finishing. But he, you know, he still did rebound. Uh, I thought in the fourth, he made three straight shots that were huge. He still defended like he's what he does is still impossibly hard to get um, in the NBA. Like that's there. Like when he's on the floor, if he's your center or even if in certain lineups, he is like your four. If you actually can find a, a spacing <laughs> that unicorn type of uh, type of center that can shoot threes and still defend. But like him being there uh, to me puts you pretty high in the conversation like for having a chance to contend uh, and then, okay. Wow. The emergence of Austin Reeves mm-hmm. and the emergence of Rui Hachimura as a support piece. And, you know, some of these other players that, that we see can forecast improvement on what if Vanderbilt works all summer on a three, how much bigger and stronger can Max Christie get? Um, and how, how can his three evolve? Like what, what is the optimal role for D'Lo relative to shooter? And then what are the pieces? Maybe it's two, maybe there are two positions, right? That, that we'll spend a lot of time on in the off season that would be a specifically needed for a matchup like Denver. Um, and then, you know, one that would be specifically needed for a different type of matchup um, that you see in the West. And it's, it's a hell of a lot closer than it was when we were having these conversations last mm-hmm. year. Uh, and, and so that, that's the encouraging part. The discouraging part is another year older for yep. LeBron um, and, and you know how he might potentially hold up in another year after X many more miles in a playoff setting, what has to happen in a regular season setting, you know, for him to be able to have enough juice um, that he was selectively able to deploy uh, in this postseason. But it's, there are, there are, there are a lot of encouraging parts of that relative to where we were a couple of months ago. And so to that, for me, that's why the season is a success despite the sting uh, right of, of being swept by Denver. Uh, and, and in fact, probably a big one relative to where things could have gone. Let's take a break and come back and keep talking about the end of the season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? 
Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, the LeBron comments at, at, at the end of the presser are... Pete, when you talked about the novella and like the bombshell, to me, it's not necessarily the bombshell. It's the cliffhanger yes. that all of these things end on. Right. There's a there's an unknown quality to his comments. And we may or may not get an exit interview from from LeBron James. If we do, then I think that we'd be gifted the potential to get a few more questions answered. But my sense is that we're not going to get. I think that was um, the ex- exit interview. Yeah. More comments, yeah. right? And so there's a lot of off-season searching. There's a lot of ideas that need to be explored. And those are conversations for another day. I'm really reflecting on what the season was and how far the team came. And the series against Denver and the Lakers' ability to get to a certain point and, and just fall short, mm-hmm. right? And that idea of not being as good a team in a few different ways, mm-hmm. right? And so, Pete, I kick this idea to you. We lamented a bunch, like, before this series. Like, man, I wish this specific group of guys would have had this much more time together in order to try to refine some things. I'm not saying that had much to do with this loss because I don't think it necessarily did, but I am intrigued by this specific group of players and and just their togetherness and what they did show. And and so what are your, what are some of your takeaways from that idea? And and just the idea of like giving this group a little bit more time, putting LeBron stuff to the side for us. I actually may bring LeBron into it if you don't mind, but hopefully it'll it'll make sense in that. So the the good side of it is I do think you found a group with some chemistry and, and with some natural their natural talents fit together in a way that you know I I'd love to hear what LeBron thinks after he gets a little bit of rest. This was a really taxing season and they you know they were going pedal to the metal for the last couple of months of the season and even earlier when AD went out and we were it was past the 2 and 10 point but we were still really struggling and LeBron really had to hit the gas and was just unbelievable in December, January, somewhere around there. Thomas Bryant was the center at the time. We weren't defending particularly well. And LeBron just had to be great in these games that in an ideal season, he doesn't have to exert that much of himself, right? And so that's the optimistic view is I think that this team is, depending on the offseason choices, of course, much better positioned to have a strong 82-game season next year in a way that does not require that level of exertion from LeBron, that ideally, the more and more we can get LeBron to being a 16-game player, quote-unquote, the better. I would have loved to see him this postseason with the kind of time that Denver had, right, where it's like, ah, last month of the season, let's dial it back, get everybody rested and, and ready for the run. We didn't have that luxury, right? And ideally, we are in a better position to do that next season. The downside, I think, of this particular group is just we're too small. This se- this series was super interesting in that it was a competitive series, right? Like there weren't 
really blowouts. The game three, the final margin was over 10, but that's because they went on like a 13-0 run in, you know, toward the end of the game. But it, it was a competitive game, each one of them. But it was sort of like watching a good welterweight fighter fight a good heavyweight fighter. And that like both fighters are good, but they have different weight classes for a reason. And there were so many, there were so many possessions. And this is why I, I really think that we should watch these Denver games as, you know, over the course of this summer, maybe we'll we'll do a week or two of that right? Where it's like Austin Reeves is having to jump with Aaron Gordon right under the basket. That's not going to work, right? It's D'Angelo Russell having to compete athletically with Bruce Brown. That's not going to work. Even Anthony Davis having to win physical battles one-on-one with Nikola Jokic. If it's athletic, if it's running and jumping, sure. But if it's banging, he's got 40 pounds on him and a lower center of gravity. It's just a, a matter of leverage. And so to me, Mike, this, I like this roster, but we have to get bigger in terms of strength if we want to get to the next level. Well, and this is the this is also up to me part about what the shift of LeBron is in these type of years and the shift from Anthony Davis as the off ball, more often power forward um, in that 2019-2020 championship season as now them being essentially the two bigs yep. uh, in some yep. way and then throwing Rui out there with him. And, and I have always been uncomfortable with that type of thing. And, and like the Lakers were what the, what Denver just did to the Lakers in some ways is what the Lakers did to everybody uh, in that yep. season where they were bigger, stronger and not always faster, usually not as good from a shooting perspective. Um, and, and yet like they just beat teams into submission. Um, and, but as LeBron, as LeBron ages a little bit more, and even as AD does, and then you need a little bit more creation or so it seems right from the backcourt players. And this is a conversation we've had a, a million times. I mean, going back to the rust trade, like LeBron who had the ball the most, even in this game, like for 48 minutes, like it, it was still LeBron now. So he's, this kind of gets back, but if you can't also just ignore the 82 versus the 16. Mm-hmm. And so you need some of that. I think you need a little bit more of that playmaking and that creation, you know, to, to some extent, right. To get through the 82. But then when it comes down to it, you need a little bit more of that, that sort of size and strength um, around him, or, or maybe just, we could be talking about one swing yep. position where instead of like Austin next to either D'Lo or Dennis Schroeder, it's Austin next to a yep. big guard, you know, and and that one that one swing could then go could then funnel essentially through the rest of the positions or at least um, set guys in positions to have a little more success. And then you bring in those guys, you know, you bring in D'Lo or or Schroeder, you know, in that kind of context into more of a sixth man type support type role and hey, run the team for X amount of possessions. Um, and that's that to me is uh, is a little bit. You're not going to go out and just sign like a, a stud like the Lakers, I think, need to bring it back. And they have some guys who can have internal growth uh, for a look like that. But that's where I always kind of get back to some of my long held NBA beliefs. And I get that sometimes that's counter to the, the space and the pace and shooting and shot creation stuff that um, that I have been a little bit more reticent towards from a playoff perspective versus like how that could work in a regular season concept. So, Pete, where are you at with Darvin Ham? I thought this was a good postseason run. For Darvin in his first season as a head coach, I thought he eventually got to where he needed to get to in the Memphis series, and that helped the Lakers win. I thought he was actually really good against the Warriors and really pressed a lot of the right buttons. 
Um, in this series, I thought he, similar to the Memphis series, he was a little slow in order to adjust from a lineup standpoint. I thought tactically they they tried a lot of different things, um, but the personnel didn't always line up in the way that it could have. Overall, I thought he did well, but but he's another, obviously, another central figure. We talk about the yeah. players a lot, but it's just like the head coach is the guy who deploys those guys. And so where are you at? We'll have a whole Darwin Potter, probably a couple over the course of the offseason. But I think that your depiction of each round is is accurate. And in this particular series, I thought I thought it exploited one of the concerns that I have about about uh that I had about him over the course of the season, which is one of the most influential decisions that a coach can make is the different five-man groupings that he puts out there, right? Like when we talk about lineups, a lot of times we're talking about singular players, but coaches think in groups of five. And a lot of times we had a lot of like three-guard lineups and that existing weakness that I've thought we had of lacking perimeter physicality in particular that that got exacerbated by having three guards out there. And so it's like Dennis and Lonnie and Austin, none of whom are particularly physical, right? And and so you can run three three guard groups, but usually a couple of those guys are going to have to be able to drop down and help you out on the boards, crack down and box a guy out. And we saw a lot of times over the course of this series, like Austin wrestling with the grizzly bear or Dennis trying to do the same. And it ends in these places where it's like, yeah, that's never going to work like that. Dennis is never going to be able to bother Aaron Gordon around the basket. And so that tendency to go toward smaller perimeter groups, I think is something that I have a concern about going forward, especially considering that the types of players that we've signed kind of line up with that and that it's these, it's Lonnie and Malik and Kendrick Nunn, kind of smaller guys without a lot of physicality. This is something that, I, I'm sorry, it's a drum that I'm going to bang quite a bit over the course of the, the offseason, but that is something, Mike, that I think that that will keep biting us around the Western Conference Finals, like it'll look good and, you know, the ball be swinging around and we'll, you know, have nights where it's super fun and we're winning by 25. But that, that um, both the kind of guys that we sign and Darvin's tendencies are something that I think this series, if, if we, if he learns from it and if it's something that he adjusts going forward, I think that it, it has a lot of value, but it's just a, a concern that I have. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's a good question and discussion to have like with Darvin Ham actually, you know, and that's, that's, mm -hmm. I'm just going to put that to I'll make a little note in my phone to, you know, to have that conversation at some point when just sitting around the facility, you know, when a coach has his first year as a head coach in the books, what type of thoughts is he having, mm -hmm. you know, how much of, how much of that is about, because he hasn't gotten to say, we think about how much this has been on the players, right. And, and how, from a fatigue standpoint and managing one thing to the next, just think about Darvin Ham's first season Wild. and what that incorporated in the interview and talking about like, what was question number one in the interview? Probably how are you going to incorporate rust, uh -huh. you know, into this type of a team? Because we, not that that was the most important thing, but you know, it wasn't like, Hey, you have to coach LeBron and AD a certain way. It, you know, it was like, that was the problem. Uh, That's right. That needed a solution and and or, you know, that discussion could have included something about, yeah, well, hey, if if an opportunity presents itself at the trade deadline, the roster needs to be remade this way. So I think that at a certain point as a head coach, what you have to bring is stability and positivity. 
And Darvin Ham did that. And I think that he tried and in some and sometimes even erred towards the, the, the side of sticking with even these short term groups that he had found yeah. some success with, um, as opposed to, you know, just making a, a change, which, by the way, he did make a lot of changes, you know, with game six to uh, in the Warrior series onto the Denver series. So what does he really believe? What does he really think? How close to that is what Bud did in Milwaukee and how much of it is close? So I, I think that time to step back and look at it and really examine why the Lakers lost this series and why, why things got to their point. I, I, I want to give him some benefit of the oh, doubt yeah. there, you know, that he'll come to some of his own just smart conclusions that maybe he didn't have the opportunity to implant um, based on what we saw uh, in, in just how, how crazy everything was to, to ride this roller coaster to the point where he did. Yeah. Overall D like he had such a wild job to navigate from beginning to end that I think he handled it beautifully. It's just, I think going forward, we're going to be a more conventional team that is going to have some more conventional questions that need to be answered. Yeah. You coach the team you have though. Mm -hmm. Right. And as you get into the playoffs, the playoffs are a war of attrition where the idea of trying to limit your own weaknesses while exposing and shining a light on the other team's weaknesses, that becomes a, bigger and bigger part of mm -hmm. the plan on a night-to-night -night basis. And it's one of the reasons why you change your starting lineup three times in a series, the way that the Warriors did against the Lakers in the same way that the Lakers then tried against the Nuggets, right? And the idea of working through the different iterations of your roster in order to try to get to the point where you can beat a team four times in in seven games that does come down to the choices that you make on a night-to-night -night basis and all of the choices that are lined up behind that that happened weeks and weeks and weeks ago right and so one of the things that i give Darvin credit for is his ability to seemingly, I'm not in these rooms, but to speak honestly with the people who he needs to speak honestly with in order to ensure that when it is time to call on them, they seem ready to be able to, to perform. And that happened time and time again this season, right? Like, you mentioned Thomas Bryant earlier during the year. Thomas Bryant stepped in for an injured Anthony Davis and played his tail off for Darvin Ham. And we saw the same thing with Dennis Schroeder. We saw the same thing happen with a brand new team at the trade deadline. Ask Wizards fans what they thought about Rui Hachimura before he came to the Lakers and then look at the version that the Lakers Even got, Russ right? bought and in with coming off of the bench at the beginning part of the season and, and totally. it helped lock the team into a better position. It's 11.20 right now on a Monday night and we're recording this podcast here. We've literally had, I don't know, three hours to reflect on a game that just ended the Lakers season and the Lakers season at large, right? Darvin's going to have a whole offseason to reflect on what the season was like for him, what choices that he believes were the right choices and they didn't work out, and what choices upon reflection maybe weren't the right choices, and what would he do differently the next time. Progress is not always linear. You're not always going to be better the next time just because you get a next time, but that's the hope with coaches. And 
I'm encouraged by so many things that he was able to do this season. And I do think some of the choices that you were talking about, Pete, reflect the roster that he was given and the types of players that were available to him. Um, That said, there were several instances where I still would have gone in a different direction and skewed towards those other sort of bigger, stronger lineups, even if they were towards maybe more limited players but whose limitations worked still within the context of what the strengths were of the guys who they would be playing next to, if that makes sense. We got some very interesting Tristan Tristan Thompson minutes tonight that I thought yeah. were just a little flicker of kind of this principle that we're talking about, right? And these the types of guys that can that can help. Yeah, well, even Darwin turning to Tristan, mm-hmm. like out of nowhere, to me, it shows a certain amount of flexibility and understanding. And Darwin was always a guy who I thought understood his players, even if he didn't always understand the team, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. And and so he had for most of the season, I thought that he had a bigger team than that the version yes. that he played. Right. And I thought that he oftentimes sought out offensive solutions for for problems that were probably defensive problems, right, with like the team. When it came right down to it, eventually he said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to start Austin Reeves and I'm going to start Jared Vanderbilt and we're going to play this specific style. And by the end of this series, even he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start Dennis Schroeder and I'm going to start Rui Hachimura because those guys give me the best chance against this specific team. And decisions like those are encouraging to me, even if they don't always come on the timeline that Mm -hmm. I would have wanted them to come on. And I think that's striking the right balance in terms of what does a year of experience look like for him and that reflection process. Yeah, this is a, a year to build on. I, th- I think uh, on a number of levels and with Darvin as, as one of them, I think he really navigated a, a tough year well and Lakers are in a better spot than they were at this time last season. Thank you to everybody who, who let us be your kind of tour guides through the season and uh, listen to us agonize over all the minutiae. I I learned a lot over the course of this season and I think that um, I, I really enjoyed the conversations with you guys and digging into it and uh all the different angles of it that's kind of the the spirit of this pod so thank you to everybody um been a hell of a year mike well let me just thank you guys you made me smarter uh and and so i you know i get the the lucky opportunity to often go on a broadcast uh pre or post or during the game or whatever and you know try and crystallize or try and give fans something and you know you guys by talking to you every day definitely made those whatever those reports or opinions were um, better and smarter and more thought out and at the same time just thanks to all of the fans and there were a ton this year that that said they you know they like listening to the pod um tell you guys what's up and i don't get a chance to mention that every podcast but uh, that was really fun to see grow as well um so shout out to you two uh, and to everybody else that consumed um all of the thoughts and all of the takes and, and we we really did try to <laughs> to put our best foot forward with them so um thanks thanks to it was great to see that response just a great season from both of you guys a great season for the pod genie yeah no shout out to genie we were doing like six pods a week recently man, and she was cranking them out i say this every single time that genie comes up like there is no pod without genie yep 
right? Like we're three dudes and we can have this conversation as many times as we want on, on text or whatever, but there is no liquor film room podcast without Jeannie and shouts to her. Pete, you and I have been doing this a long time and multiple years now of doing the pod. Just want to say that I appreciate you and I appreciate Mike. Mike talks about what we help bring to him and his work, but the access and the insider perspective and the boots on the ground perspective that Mike is able to give to us and and to all of the fans, I think we're all better off for that. And I think we try to give fans the most well-rounded Lakers podcast that we possibly can. And sometimes we succeed and sometimes we, they are just steps on the way to success, as Giannis would say. So we're going to keep trying to do our best. And uh, we definitely appreciate all of the support. So I think we're going to take a few days off. We have not discussed this, uh, right? But keep in touch on the Laker Film Room podcast Twitter account at LFR Pod. But yeah, good season, something to build on. A lot of interesting stuff ahead, though, especially with LeBron. We will be back to discuss it uh, at least fairly soon. Thank you to everybody. You've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound to Vladi. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Done. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.